0: Shining a light on podcasts and videos that have caught our attention. The Spotlight with Jen Spiker. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian media app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
1: Perhaps nothing has looked so much like a war on our freedoms than the crisis brought on by the COVID pandemic. Our freedoms were evaporating before our eyes. But our special guest today says the fight for freedom is not over. In fact, it's only the beginning. He says after being told that the pandemic was our greatest challenge in a century, we're being urged to move on, forget about the past and return to our normal life. Well, in hindsight, it appears our political leaders were deliberately whipping up fear. And accused of regularly lying about COVID. So, what lies ahead? What is mass formation psychosis? And what forms of control should we be concerned about? Well, our special guest today is the Reverend Dr. Michael Sutton. He's been a political economist, a professor, a priest, a pastor, and now a publisher. He's the CEO of Freedom Matters Today, looking at freedom from a Christian perspective. One of his books that was released last year is called Freedom from Fascism, A Christian Response to Mass Formation Psychosis. I want to make a special welcome along to the Reverend Dr. Michael Sutton. Welcome, Michael.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Neil. And Michael is fine. Thank and, you. It's a wonderful privilege to be here.
1: Michael, uh, the thought of move on, nothing to see here, uh, all that went before in the COVID pandemic. What were your thoughts as you've been writing about the way our freedoms have been diminished?
2: Well, for me, for me, Neil, freedom is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm sure many of your listeners would would agree with that. And Jesus said that if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So our freedom that comes from God is something that can never be taken away. But certainly the privileges that we enjoy uh, as a citizen of this country were uh, taken away from us uh, for three years. Um, And uh, we lived in fear. We lived under martial law. um, And we saw a degradation of political rights that we haven't seen uh, in this country probably um, for generations.
1: What are your thoughts for Christians? And I guess uh, this gets into the deep end early in our conversation. But for the Christian uh thinking about tyranny because undoubtedly there's some that you would have come across and there's some that i've spoken to that said you know well we shouldn't be speaking up we should just take it on the chin turn the other cheek uh what sort of imperative is there from the christian perspective to actually be someone who confronts tyranny who
2: speaks up when there's injustice
1: any thoughts from you here
2: i have a lot to say about that um we saw the rise of what we call, what I call COVID theology, and COVID theology is the idea that we have to submit to the state whatever the government says we need to obey, we have to acquiesce our, abrogate our rights and so on. But the reality is it's a little bit more complicated than that. If that's true, then the Protestants then sinned against God by breaking away from Rome. It also means that America, the American colonies, they also sinned against God by breaking away from, from England and it also means that uh, Martin Luther King sinned against God because he um, engaged in civil disobedience to fight for African American rights in the 60s so it's uh, it's it's not true um, the challenge to uh, for Christians is to stand up for the truth and if that in- involves uh, civil disobedience or well, in the case of the uh, Protestant uh, restoration it wasn't simply it wasn't simply standing for the truth was it it was really you know we see the religious wars these were Christians who felt that uh, they couldn't stand by and live under Roman tyranny in the 15th and 16th century, and that drove Germany and all the Protestant powers to, I guess, you know, go to war against Rome, and we saw hundreds of years of conflict. So were those Christians sinning against God? Um, I think it's uh, much more complicated um, than simply uh, you know, a blanket statement saying that uh, we should submit to the government all the time. Uh, interesting, isn't it,
1: that while our aspiration might be a harmonious living in community and peacefulness, uh, history is littered with wars and bloodshed and around issues Absolutely. a little bit like this uh, that are to do with freedoms. And so uh, Christians, Absolutely. to you know, take a mature view as a Christian, uh, you can't avoid being involved in the debate. Hey, let me come, Michael. Uh, I know that there'll be listeners who are fascinated with some terminology that you use in the title of the book we're going to be talking about. Uh, Freedom from fascism, a Christian response to mass formation psychosis. Uh, Lots of people might be familiar with some of the... Uh, words in your title, but mass formation psychosis might be new for uh, some of our listeners. What do you mean by mass formation psychosis? If this is the thing that we're in some ways up against, uh, that might be taking away some of our freedoms.
2: Well, reality is Neil that um, we live in a we live in a representative democracy, and uh, for representative democracies, um, governments and society needs need to be controlled by. By propaganda uh, Propaganda is an essential functioning of a, of a representative democracy and propaganda essentially is is kind of like indoctrination I suppose for want of a better word and mass formation psychosis is is a very technical term that some social scientists have come up with more recently to uh, to describe what we all know is basically as a synonym for propaganda um, and propaganda is uh, at the heart of marketing for example it's the heart of uh, you know public relations, you know, when you go and buy a product, at the uh, the supermarket, the marketers are there to tell you this is the best thing that you should buy. You need this. In effect, they're engaging in propaganda. Uh, we live in a in a ultimately free society. Authoritarian societies they just rely on force. So if you don't agree with what <laughs> what the government says, they'll shoot you or put you in prison. But in a in a democratic and representative uh, democracy that we have here, propaganda is essential. Uh, for um, the functioning of a society. But what what happens, of course, is the temptation to then uh, use propaganda as a vehicle to, uh, I guess, manipulate and to, um, uh, to provoke prejudice and channel and weaponize the population for a particular end. And we saw that with COVID hysteria uh in the pandemic and, in, and it, it manifested itself in a couple of ways that i just wanted to draw your attention to i'm sure your all readers are familiar the idea of dobbing in your neighbor is is an appalling it's an appalling example we were told to report your neighbor who attended a peaceful protest uh, there's no such thing as indoctrination to the sense where people become robots not even in in nazi germany Uh, or even in the days of of the the Nazi party, were people becoming robots. What indoctrination does is it manipulates prejudice. It channels um, existing, pre-existing feelings and so on. And so the tragedy of COVID hysteria with the police brutality and with the lockdowns and the vaccine passports is it took our prejudices and kind of exploited us um, and channeled us into, I guess, becoming weapons for the state. Um, And many of us live in shame many Australians live in shame at what happened what they did what they didn't do and i think we're in we're in a sort of a in a time where we really need to think what we did what australia did and really come to terms with it we can't move on unless we come to terms with what was said and done so in a
1: representative democracy that we have we actually do need propaganda but you're saying propaganda comes in a good sense and it comes in a bad sense. And if we're not controlled by propaganda, we might be controlled by the gun. Uh, but propaganda absolutely. being at the heart of marketing, and let me just put you on the spot here because we might be concerned about what Christians think about this. Do Christians engage in our own form of propaganda? Is evangelism oh, like a absolutely. propaganda?
2: So so the, uh, the good uses of it's it. It's yeah, it's just a word. I mean, propaganda is a way of promoting a particular point of view, really. Uh, mass formation psychosis is the idea of the uh, malicious, pernicious manipulation of people, I guess, trying to turn people into a weapon. And we saw, we've we seen that. We saw that with Trump. Um, we saw the weaponization of, of um, the ideology against Trump. People turned against him in a, maybe a, a year or so. And then with, uh, with COVID hysteria, it took the government about six months to weaponize the population, and then with the war in Ukraine, it took them at least a, basically a week. Um, so they're getting better and better at weaponizing the population for a particular end. And we have to be aware of when we what we watch on TV, what we listen to. We have to be aware of what people are saying and why they're saying it. And also, we need to be aware of um, how we feel about certain issues, um, because I guess one of the great things about uh, marketing is that, Marketers are able to find out the things that we want, and so if you want to buy a bed or want to buy a chair or a table, um, and uh, social media and so on is is perfect at this. I guess in giving you what you want, and that's that's a very benign thing, really. Most marketing is fairly benign, but um, unfortunately, um, government propaganda. Uh, the temptation is so great for governments um, to um, to not use it, and that's what they do with, and that's what they did with. Um, uh, the propaganda under uh, COVID hysteria.
1: And I guess that propaganda, uh, when you talk about um, opponents or alternative ideas or the prejudices that might be underlying there, so uh, the weaponising, does that happen when the laws change? Because uh, we've seen so much of recent years, laws changing from what we held as those even Christian-founded laws, say, around marriage and now the trans issues that are so prevalent, uh, you know, euthanasia, abortion. Uh, so the laws change and it weaponises one side to use against the traditionalists or the other side that is holding perhaps to a biblical view. Is that the way weaponising begins?
2: Not really, Neil. Um, laws are just ink on a page, ultimately, and we saw that with the, uh, the martial law in Australia with the biosecurity Act that, that all the laws that we held dear and freedom of expression um, and freedom of assembly and so on, the churches were closed down under the uh, Biosecurity Act, which was effectively martial law. And so what happened in Australia was the suspension of democratic and uh, democratic rights and freedoms. And so what the government proved um, both in Australia but also abroad was that laws mean nothing that the government, the state, has the power to change laws at whim, and they did. Um, and uh, really what it is, it showed the fundamental weakness in representative democracy, that, that it's, not, it's not a system that is any better or worse than other systems. It is just frail. And I think the reason for that is that it's made up of men and women who, though made in the image of God, uh, have fallen short of the glory of God. And that brings me back to the... Ah, uh, the wonder and amazing truth that Christ came into the world to set people free from sin, and to bring them back into relationship with God, and that can happen to anyone, and no one is beyond the reach and love of God. Even those in government who so vehemently um, hate um, the gospel. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson: A biblical perspective on life,
1: culture, and current events. Our talkback line is open on one 316 316. What do Christians think about what lies ahead for our freedoms in Australia? What is mass formation psychosis? We've been talking about what that is, what that means, and what forms of control should we really be concerned about? Well, our special guest is the Reverend Dr. Michael Sutton. He's the CEO of Freedom Matters today. In his book, Freedom from Fascism, a Christian response to mass formation psychosis, he makes some big claims and some important comments. Uh, Michael, let's stay with your book title for a moment. And while we've talked about mass formation psychosis, the way we can all get sort of swept along in that, you use the word fascism in your title. Mm. I wonder if you've got some clear definition of what that means, because some people like to use that word as a weapon against people who disagree with them as well. What are your thoughts on fascism?
2: No, oh, Absolutely, Neil. We We see people calling each other fascists all the time. Essentially, fascism is the voluntary conceding of individual authority to another authority. Uh, and we see that in, in democracies where people have, um, I guess, offloaded their personal responsibility onto someone else. But there are many different types of fascism. There's old-fashioned old fascism. There's new fascism. But for I think from my perspective, there are two aspects to fascism that um, are important. One is the mixing of what I call faith and flag. And that is where Christians confuse the personal relationship they have with God with, I guess, a national understanding of Christianity. Um, and the second aspect of it is that the belief, which I believe is wrong, that the past was better. Now, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the gospel of the good news of Jesus is available to all. Um, Unfortunately, fascists believe that in the past everything was better, the glory days were great, today is a mess, but the Bible doesn't present the world like that. The Bible clearly says we are all... Uh, we all stand before God. We all um, are sinners. We all need uh, the love and mercy of God found in Jesus Christ. And to trust in him is a call not only for us but for our forebears. And if you read the scriptures, if you read the New Testament in particular, it's like reading something that was that's relevant for us today, not something written 2,000 years ago, because it's a timeless message. Um, and fascists and fascism are the ones who say, no, 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 we – We have an obligation to turn Australia into a Christian nation. We have an obligation to tell people that today it's much worse than it was. But no, we are. one thing that I keep coming back to in in Freedom Matters today is God doesn't promise what he doesn't promise. What he does promise is that all who turn to him in faith will live. Um, And a lot of things that we really fight for and want to believe in, we, we can't rely upon God because he never promised it.
1: We're taking calls on one eight hundred 316 Let's take a call. Scotty is in Albany in Western Australia. Hi, Scotty. Welcome along.
3: Hi, Neil. Thanks very much for having me on, mate. Um, yeah, uh, I would only direct people to the reverend uh, comments regarding the mass formation psychosis. There's a group online that promote uh, videos on this um, on YouTube, an actual fact, called the Academy of Ideas, which explains... The concept that the, the reverend is actually talking about currently.
1: Okay, and uh, are you familiar with the Academy of Ideas, uh, Michael?
2: No, not really. I I did um, follow Matthias Desmond, who was the one who came up with the term um, uh, mass formation psychosis. Um, I'm more of a fan of uh, Jackie Ilul, who is a famous Christian writer in the 1950s who wrote about propaganda and democracy. So I've just assumed that um, I've taken the line that it's it really is all similar in a way. Um, uh, The early not the early, the post-war writers who wrote on authoritarianism and fascism under under Hitler um, did a lot of work on propaganda as well. Um, And it's sort of the same sort of tradition that there's the the potential for power manipulation of people uh, through state indoctrination, which is very common um around uh, Scotty. That group.
1: Scotty, have you got something further to add to our conversation?
3: Yeah, um I think the the current problem to or the current problems that we have with, with government going the direction that they're going with regards to Christian philosophies or opposing them, or they seem to be, I think is to get back to the original federal constitution, or Commonwealth Constitution of 1901 which they seem to be ignoring over quite a number of uh, decades, I would say. Uh, It goes back to probably Federation, in fact. Um, I would suggest that the problem is people are are not taught this in schools any longer, which the Constitution comes from a basic Christian uh, faith in in various fashions from, from a long, long time ago. It goes back to the days of Magna Carta, 1215, and beyond. It goes back 1,500 years to 800 years. And I would suggest that people have to actually go back to to the original Constitution in actual fact to, to be able to correct the situation. People have to learn about it, which are the basic rules of society, which then combats this propaganda that the Reverend talks about.
1: Uh, Certainly takes us back to the good old days in some sense here. Uh, Michael, uh, you were saying let's not dwell in the past. The word of the gospel is as relevant for every age. But uh, when we're learning to live in harmony in a society, uh, going back to the Magna Carta and uh, those things that have actually birthed freedoms, uh, freedom as we might define it under our own constitution. What are your thoughts here for Scotty?
2: Uh, I think there's there's two things. One is political freedom, of course, or, um, and the other one is what I focus on in Freedom Matters today is spiritual freedom. Um, you can be a Christian and follow God uh, completely in a, in a land that is uh, oppressive and hostile to Christianity. What we saw in, for example, in the Soviet Union, you weren't allowed to be a Christian at all. Uh, churches were banned uh, completely. All forms of religious expression were banned, and yet millions of Christians lived out their faith faithfully following Christ in their own way um, and we saw that also in Japan too under the days of the Catholic perse- terrible Catholic persecution um, not Catholic persecution persecution of the Catholics from 1600 to 1850 the 1850s and then the remarkable thing was that when when the uh, the Orthodox and the um, the, the, Pro- the Protestant missionaries turned up in Japan in the 1850s they found Christians who were living there who had retained their faith for 250 years. Um, and so it's the the power of God, the power of God to sustain faith is incredible. Uh, I think I guess with with Scotty is that I want to say that whatever governments do and whatever governments say, there is no power in the world stronger than the power of God. Um, and that in whatever society we live in, we can we can never avail ourselves uh, enough of the power of the Holy Spirit in transforming our lives.
1: Scotty in Albany, thank you so much for your call 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation let's squeeze in another call before news Alex is in Melbourne hello Alex, welcome along
3: Oh, hello uh, Neil and uh, I'll forget your Michael? Uh, guest name there uh, Michael, thank you very much yes, uh, uh, yeah. I just referring to the Bible as well um, with uh, COVID coming on the scene and the government's taking the law in their own hands, uh, that you know, I'm thinking like a uh, Babylon rising, uh, the, showing showing us how it would be. That's all I wanted to say. All
1: right. Uh, there's some illustrations, I guess, in uh, referring to Babylon rising. Uh, thoughts here from you, Michael,
2: for Alex? I heard I heard that the uh, one of the Chinese interpretations of Revelation um, it resonated with me. It's not the it's not a linear understanding. I'm not sure if it's true, but it's their understanding is it sort of goes in a cycle that every generation is confronted with with choices, and there is always I guess a Babylon there. There is always a, I guess the confrontation. There's always the persecution. I guess persecuted people who follow Jesus Christ who seek to live out their faith. Uh, following christ each day they're always confronted by persecution Um, what we saw in COVID hysteria was that the many churches said no no we we will do what the government says and we won't be persecuted but jesus said that if you follow me you will be persecuted so it's an inevitable thing Um, i think for me is to focus on christ to focus on jesus rather than on the tyranny that we face because at the end of the day Uh, We stand because Jesus stood for us and because we could not stand and he fought for us because we could not fight. And so ultimately, uh, it comes back to Jesus Christ for me.
1: Alex in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. Let's see if we can squeeze in one more before news. Hannah is in Albany, WA. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Hannah, need to be quick. What are your thoughts?
0: It's it's really great to have this conversation in Christian realm because it's been really hard watching um, your brothers and sisters kind of not be discerning is how I've seen it as I've I've struggled to watch I actually felt a bit homeless so I, I felt like in the church having to mask up to praise God or not be able to go to church at all um, and not be able to have that corporate prayer and fellowship was quite um, well, uh, quite a few of us have talked about feeling quite traumatized and. What I wanted to add to the conversation was with this mass formation psychosis, obviously, there's a sort of a brainwashing or an indoctrination, so it's hard to see that when you've been deceived, obviously. But I think for people who are thinking about um, maybe we got it wrong or maybe we, we should have responded a bit differently, I think sweeping it under the carpet and pretending it didn't happen and kind of easing back into people's lives who, like me, we've lost our jobs, my husband lost our jobs, we had to pull our kids out of a private Christian school, lots of changes. I think it needs to be on the table and people need to humble themselves and talk about it um, to to kind of heal.
1: Before we move on, though, Michael, let's come back to the call we took just before the news. Mm -hmm. Hannah called in from Albany in Western Australia and she intimated that she'd even felt excluded, isolated, even in her own church around the way that the Christians took a position on vaccine passports and on masks. I wonder if you've got something to add as a response for Hannah and the concerns that she was relaying.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Neil. And and Hannah raised a really great point. And what we saw in COVID hysteria was mass apostasy within the Christian church. Um, The government uh, was able to, I guess, buy pulpits for 500 bucks a week. Uh, with their um, with their uh, subsidies of, of, of churches who adopted vaccine passports. So there was mass apostasy and Christians who closed their churches, who denied people access to the gospel proclamation, who said that you know, the funny thing is in COVID, you could have the uh, COVID hysteria, you could have someone with, who could have herpes, AIDS, hepatitis, the flu, um, and early onset Ebola, but as long as they had their vaccination certificate, they were allowed to take the uh, enter the church building. Um, and so for the first time in Australian history, well, probably not, actually, the, there were pure rentals in the Anglican Church before the war. But uh, certainly since the post-war years, the only time Christians have been forbidden by the state to enter their church buildings. And so it was terrible. And as, I, as I've as i said in one of my articles for uh, recently, is that, that those who, who supported um, COVID hysteria, the nurses and teachers and doctors and uh, Administrators, managers, and pastors, priests, and bureaucrats who, would fire, who were fired for not being vaccinated—they all need their employment restored, their reputations, and their income returned, along with written and public apologies from the institutions responsible. And if Christians can't lead in this, then I do believe that God will judge this nation. It's not about—it's not about, I guess, judging. God doesn't judge sinners for being sinners; He judges the church for failing to live up to. Uh, what he commands, which is to be faithful to to Christ. Uh, Michael,
1: it started off with uh, COVID and the response. It started off just as a health response. It was a responsible thing that the government thought that they were doing, and it grew into a fascist response from there. How much do you need to be aware when there is change, when there is a new propaganda campaign, uh, to be able to discern and identify what's actually starting here how do you make that sort of discernment when you think that the government has your best interests at heart and it's just a health response
2: Yeah, the temptation for governments is so great um the power does corrupt we see it in the church we see it in society we see it in government Uh, the the power that people can have over others the excitement that that gives them the the thrill um the sense of their own self-importance I guess if you remind yourself that everything in the world comes to nothing, it all turns to dust. The thing that remains is God and God's word um, and that our relationship with God is is an eternal one. Uh, we need to, I guess, hold on to things a little bit loosely uh, and be reminded that things can change um, on a dime. And we saw that. But the other thing that, that, that people forget is that fascism is a lot more common than, than Adolf Hitler. Fascism was in Spain. Um, it was in Portugal, it was in Chile uh, and in almost every case most people went along with it. Um, they supported it because the fascists I guess gave them a sense of national purpose, gave them a sense of belonging but our Christ, uh, our identity fiber, and our race were in Christ and so we need to uh, uh, I guess soak ourselves in the word of God we need to read the scriptures, we need to pray, and we need to seek, particularly pray for discernment to discern what governments do and what they're trying to do to us.
1: So if leaders have, as you say, a thrill of having their own self-importance and then imposing their will on others, is a good, correct and Christian response uh, to remind leaders that they don't have unlimited power and that somehow or other uh,
2: freedoms need to be maintained absolutely we see we saw this in the civil rights movement in america where um it could never happen in australia under covid because the church told us that you're not allowed to uh, stand up for your freedom you're not allowed to uh, resist government but in in america in the the 50s and 60s you saw thousands of protests against the unjust laws against aboriginal uh, 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 african Americans. sorry And these were led by many Christians like Martin Luther King, and they knew they were breaking the law. They knew they'd go to prison. They knew they'd be arrested, but they had to stand for the truth. And had the churches stood up for the truth, had hundreds of churches refused to close, then now as we see the pandemic narrative unraveling and all the lies about the vaccines and the vaccine efficacy and so on, then the church would be in a much better position. But they're not. They're just another group that was bought off by the state. Um, And many, many people can never or will never trust the church again. That's a challenge, and we'll get on to that in
1: a few moments, uh, the trust that we might have in our church leaders to be able to discern these things. But let me just uh, touch on something here, because when we talk about uh, the fight for freedoms, uh, you're saying this is not over now that we're on the other side of COVID. In fact, it's just the beginning. So that might infer that there are bigger threats that are coming there are some other clouds looming on the horizon and so something there for christian leaders to be discerning and aware of what are your thoughts here for bigger threats on the way
2: well i just want to say something very very unconventional and very radical and controversial russia is not my enemy and china is not my enemy Um, And yet we're being told by our government that we're at war with Russia and soon we'll be at war with China. Um, Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Paul Paul reminds us that we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And yet the scriptures remind us that that enemy, Diabolos or the devil, was defeated by Christ in the wilderness, where Jesus fought for us because we could not fight for ourselves. Uh, And we walk in the spirit and the spirit enables us to follow Christ through all situations. Uh, the, I guess the challenges for Christians today is be aware of what the governments want and what government wants is war with Russia. Uh, we do not want to go to war with Russia because they, they have more nuclear weapons than anyone. And what what astounded me when the war began in last year uh, in, in Ukraine was that prominent Christians were not only supporting war with Russia, but they were also supporting unconditional surrender. In my in my view, a, a bad peace is better than a good war. The people who suffer in war are always the innocent, always the women and the children and the old and the infirmed. And uh, and a, a negotiated peace is the only way forward uh, in Russia. This idea that we'll fight them to to destroy Russia is it's just insanity. And as for war with China, which the government is you know they, the Australian government signed a treaty, an agreement for a $400 billion program to get submarines, which apparently are not to fight China. But we weren't even told about this agreement. And this is what this autocracy is all about, is that these important agreements are being signed and negotiated without people even knowing what to do. There are more Christians in China, Neil, today. There are more people who follow Jesus Christ today in China than there are people who live in Australia.
1: Uh, I think multiple times over when you have those estimated numbers, uh, more than a 100 million Christian believers in China. Interestingly, you're making a really strong point here, and just to dwell on this for a few moments, because as the Christian believer, and we're also a citizen of a nation, we're also a part of this uh, democracy that we live in. We have an opportunity to vote for one side or another. We're tempted to take sides politically, but I can hear something in the things you're sharing here is that somehow or other our priorities need some level of adjustment. And I sometimes frame this along the lines of uh, the fact that we're not necessarily as Christians issues activists, but we're more aligned to be ministers of the gospel. Uh, What you're saying is here, the gospel matters more than all of the issues together. Any thoughts, any clarification on that sort of focus?
2: Absolutely. We had we had centuries of Christendom uh, leading up to the Great War, which was the most atrocious war in history, Um, worse than any other war. And then we had World War Two, of course, the rise of fascism, which is a great evil. And and whenever fascism arises, it should be destroyed. But uh, the best the West could do was one day, one Christmas football match where everyone was was uh, they, they stopped fighting on the Western Front. They could only do it for one day and then they went back to killing each other. And so what we saw with the Great War after a thousand years of Christendom was that they could only stop fighting for one day. Um, what I'm always reminded um, when I think of someone I don't like, and I'm sure that your your listeners would have people they don't like, people that irritate you at work or at home or relatives, um, I encourage them to, to think about that person and think, OK, well, I don't like this person, I dislike, I maybe even hate this person. And listen to God and and God says to us, he says to us, Michael, that person, I sent my son Jesus to die for him or for her. That person is not beyond the love and mercy of God. Um, And then God says, you were like that person once and I died for you. And so Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. And that is the call for a Christian, which means ultimately, when you think about it, we don't really have any enemies except the devil
1: and uh, some adjustment of thinking required because we're also caught up in oftentimes the emotion of the moment and the Mm. uh, the judgments that we might have around uh, issues politically especially you talk about the new enemy Uh, if the fight for freedom is not over it's just beginning You're identifying the new enemy, and we've been talking about that terminology, the fascist, but you also characterize that enemy as an autocracy. I wonder if you've got some Mm. thoughts here on what an autocracy looks like, uh, what that means, and how it needs to be resisted.
2: Well, we, we live in an autocracy, Neil. I mean, I was reminded by the, about this by um, the coronation of Charlie, uh, or Charles the Third um, and his coronation. And so we have a constitutional monarchy here in Australia. Where we are head of state as a foreign monarch. And he is, in a sense, an autocrat, even though it, he exists uh, as, a, as, a, as the head of state rather than the arbiter of rules and regulations. And for the last three years, we've had autocracy. We've had governments ruling... Um, and what's interesting is that a number of the fascists, who or fascist wannabes in Australia, who in state parliaments, many of them have sort of gone, or they've tempered their their, their fascist tendencies, um, which is which is a great uh, blessing. Um, but a number of the the real fascists have sort of left the left the um, left the scene, which is again is another blessing. Um, but autocracy, I guess, is is um, is not something that others have; it's something that we are heading towards. Um, and it's not only just for, politi- for politics, but also for Christians. And Christians have a problem, and that is that when we give up on God and we give up on the power of God to change lives, we become fascists. And I guess fascism is, uh, if I give you an example, um, a, Christian, a, a fascist would say, what would Jesus do? That's a very popular thing. What would Jesus do? But a Christian would say, what did Jesus do? And what did Jesus do? He died for sin. He died for me. He rose from the dead. What would Jesus do? Well, let's ask him. But as far as ourselves are concerned, what did Jesus do is the most important thing. Unfortunately, for many Christians, we we love a state that is we want a state to be a Christian state um, promoting Christian values. But every time that happens is that it's always a disaster, because if you put five Christians in a room together, um, there is some agreement. But eventually we start arguing about something. As you, as you would, would well know. Yeah. Well, Christians,
1: we become comfortable and submitted to, uh, you could call even God an autocrat, but uh, we would say Jesus, King of kings, uh, Lord of mm-hmm. lords, our submission to him uh, is above Absolutely. our submission to those <laughs> earthly uh, autocrats. Any thoughts here as to the way that, you know, you you actually do submit to uh, the autocratic uh, rule of the King of Kings, uh, and that takes precedence over the other autocrats that are uh, simply ruling over nations. Any thoughts here?
2: Well, I have, we have one of the sayings I have is that Jesus doesn't vote because he's the King, um, which I, which which I which I do like. But at the same time, we do have to follow our conscience. Um, and that was, after all, what Martin Luther did when he resisted Rome, uh, which again was challenging the authority of the time. And he uh, he, he said, I can't, I can't, uh, I, res- I can't um, submit to government. I have to stand with my conscience. Um, and Christians during the COVID pandemic were told, No, no, your job is to sit down, shut up, and do as you're told. Um, and churches, many churches, told their parishioners, Sorry, that uh, you must be vaccinated. You have to carry a vaccine passport. This isn't Christianity. This is fascism. This is tyranny. And unfortunately, what's happening, Neil, is that the government knows in Australia that they can buy the church for $500 a week. And they know that in the COVID hysteria, what happened was that most churches shut their doors until they were told to reopen. So when the next crisis comes, they they know and they expect the churches to do the same. Um, what we need to do is repent. The churches need to repent of what they did in covid we need to go back to the gospel. We need to go back to the freedom that God brings. And because when the next crisis comes, and probably this will be war with China, the churches will be enlisted to support it, and it will be a disaster. Hmm. How do we restore
1: uh, trust in church? Because clearly this is an element where there if there are those who no longer go to church because they don't trust the church anymore, how do you bring about a restoration of that trust, Michael?
2: I don't think it can be restored, Neil. I think that the uh, uh, the reality is is that um, um, church is in free fall and uh, many people are leaving Christi- leaving the church, but we need to make a distinction between the church is not Christianity. Jesus is, um, Jesus is Lord and we do need to encourage people to follow Christ. It's interesting when Jesus met Peter the first time in John's gospel, um, Peter says, get away from me. I think in Luke's gospel he says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And and Jesus doesn't say to him, Peter, yes, you are. Peter, you're a, you're a wretched, wretched sinner. And these are all the things you've done wrong. He said, no, Peter, I will make you fishers of men come and follow me. And at the end of Peter's, uh, Jesus's ministry with Peter on the on the, the beach with Jesus having the barbecue with Christ. And uh, uh, again, Peter says, what about John? What about this fellow? What, what, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, don't worry about John. That's none of your business. As for you, Peter, follow me. And for Christians, we are called to follow Christ. And we, we need to walk forward um, and we need to use the brain God gave us and the spirit he gave he has given us as well to um, make those decisions. But it, it does involve it does involve going back to the fundamentals, which is that, Um, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the power of God to change lives is more powerful than any power of any despot.
1: Time's short. Let's squeeze in one more call. Andrew is in Emerald in Queensland. Hi, Andrew. Welcome. Yeah, hi.
3: Thank you. I I just wanted to pick up on Michael's comment a moment ago about um, the church being bought for $500 a week. Um, And I wanted to expand on that. I'm wondering whether maybe the the problem actually is when you think about the the amount of money that churches and particularly Catholics get for schooling in this country from the government, um, the tax deductibility um, benefits that pastors get, whether the government actually just straight up owns the church and maybe moving forward we need to look at somehow Disconnecting ourselves financially from the government to be a little more independent.
1: Interesting point there, Andrew. And it could go across uh, education, it could go across healthcare and uh, hospitals, uh, it could go across an awful lot of areas. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on the fact that we do actually utilize so much of the welfare dollar that maybe uh, the government does have an ownership already of the church?
2: Oh, I absolutely agree with your last caller. Um, um, We believe at Freedom Matters today that churches are uh, service providers, not charities, and that there there definitely needs to be an overhaul of the way churches are run. Uh, In the past, before uh, the 19th century, churches were businesses. They ran successful, uh, particularly in the medieval age, they were very successful businesses. Um, And unfortunately, the charity laws um, do hamper the ability of Christians to, I guess, Pursue the calling that God's called us to. There's so many things Christians do. I heard one example, for example, there was some uh, Christian doctors at a church who uh, wanted to start a clinic on site just to help the poor. And I told you can't do it because it violates the charity rules. Um, and so there are these these kinds of examples. And so for me, um, uh, that what needs to happen is the charity laws for churches need to uh, be businesses rather than charities but it's very controversial no one will listen to me neil um on this one um there's too much money involved but but i i do believe in freedom i have an economic background and i did see the fact that the competition is good and that what you do need is that too much government support does actually hamper rather than incentivize uh, organizations and that includes churches
1: well thank you so much to andrew in emerald and uh, time has run out Uh, Michael I think you might have raised a whole lot more questions that people might be (laughs) looking for some extra response to and uh, there's some challenging things that you've said even controversial things some listeners might want to explore a little more and uh, they might want to connect with you even directly and uh, we have run out of time I was going to talk to you a little bit more about the good ministry that you do at Freedom Matters today but I'm going to push uh, the opportunity for uh, listeners to connect to listeners with the website freedommatterstoday.com freedommatterstoday.com You can also connect with Michael through brownstone.org and you can also access monthly podcasts from Michael and he's got four books that are out. The one we've been talking about today, Freedom from Fascism, A Christian Response to Mass Formation Psychosis. No doubt you'd be able to order a copy when you're on that site, freedommatterstoday.com. Michael, thank you so much for taking some time. Michael Sutton, he's the uh, CEO of Freedom Matters Today. Michael, thanks for joining us on 2020.
2: Thank you very much, Neil. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you and God bless.